0: There's Crispy, and then there's Crispy-er. Try our new and improved Tyson Crispy Chicken Strips. Crispy just got Crispy-er.
1: You're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm on the phone with my co-host, Donovan Dooley from North Carolina a and it's good, y'all. And Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College. Well, he he just kind of walked from Morehouse, right? So formally, were you Morehouse emeritus?
2: Nah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a I am officially a Morehouse man. So,
1: all right, but well, you graduated?
2: Yeah, well, yeah.
1: You're, so you you're a former Morehouse man.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. So at at Morehouse, it's. When you're, you know, matriculating through it, you're a man of Morehouse. Mm. When you graduate, you're a Morehouse man. I, I know see. it's 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 literally the same exact thing, but don't don't go down there and tell them that.
1: I see. <laughs> I see. Uh, the fellows are back from break and will be with us for the rest of the summer. Thank goodness. Let's get right to it. The 2018 World Cup has begun in Russia. So this show is pretty much all about soccer. If you're not a soccer fan, well, listen anyway we'll be talking about the matchups and the players to look out for with Mark Wright, the director of special projects for The Undefeated. And in the second half of the show, we'll be talking with Irv Smalls, who'll join us to talk about why we don't see more black kids playing soccer in the United States. And we will also have a LeBron, a LeBron James mentioned. So just stay tuned. Uh, but first, the fellas and I would like to predict the stories and issues everyone will be talking about next week.
2: I'm not gonna pick a specific player, but I'm going to predict that someone big, a star player, will be out next week. Either either he's gonna get a red card, he's gonna someone's gonna get injured, but someone will not be playing. A big, big name too
1: hmm. in the World Cup. In the world.
2: yes, in the World Cup.
1: Uh,
2: I predict it always happens.
1: Huh? Well, I predict. This time next next week, we're still going to be talking about where LeBron is going. I mean, is he going to play out west? Is he going to play in the East? We may be talking about is he going to is he going to come to the Knicks? Uh, I predict he may change sports. I think he may he may do NASCAR, or maybe he's going to go on the U the, the tennis U S t- tennis tour. You know, no tell where this what this what this, what this he may do UFC. So anyway, but I think, I think one way, whatever it is, people are going to be talking about LeBron James this time next week. The 2018 World Cup started last week in Russia. Unlike the Olympics, this event happens only every four years. So there's been a lot of anticipation, disappointment, and dread. Uh, the United States men's team didn't make it to the tournament, and a lot of folks have expressed uh, concern and despair over Russia's Russia's history with racism and soccer, among <laughs> among other things. Uh, over the past few days, Russian soccer fans have used taunts and hostile language toward minorities and teams opposing Russia on social media. Uh, Mark Wright is the director of special projects for The Undefeated, and he's been covering soccer and other sports for years and just recently commented on the issue for The Undefeated. Now, Before joining The Undefeated, Mark worked as the director of content and editorial services for ESPN. He served as the executive editor for Overtime Magazine, was the editor-in-chief of Soccer Junior Magazine, and he still plays soccer with some of the old heads <laughs> and coaches his son. Hey, 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 Mark, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Bill, for having me. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, man. Thanks so much. And uh, you know, you 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 are quite an aficionado. You know, you grew up. Uh, well, tell us about your your um, your love affair with soccer because it, it actually runs quite deep, right?
3: Yes, sir. So uh, the long and short is I was born in England, Wolverhampton, England, uh, to Jamaican parents. Um, and actually, my Jamaican parents right now are in England celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary.
1: Oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, oh,
3: shout wow. out to mom and dad. That's indeed. indeed. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm so bummed that I'm not able to be there with them. They're showing off, showing all the pictures on and video on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm just like liking everything, and not being there, but it's all good. It's all good. And I uh, spent the first two and a half years of my life in England, and we moved back to Jamaica where I spent. Uh, from two and a half to twelve came to America to washington d c on my twelfth birthday and for pretty much my entire life, the only sport I ever played was soccer or football. I hmm. messed around with cricket a little bit, but soccer is the only sport that i've i've ever played, and up until coming to America at twelve years old, I never saw basketball, I never saw baseball, I never saw any other sport but that. I mean, I dabbled coming up because I assimilated here in America when I got here. But um, football has been the sport and we've grown into it. I've got two sons who play. Mm. Um, One's playing um, at the highest level of club soccer that you can play. He's in the Development Academy and my youngest is 13 and he's coming up on the same track so soccer dad and like you said i kick it around with the old heads every now and then oh man it's interesting that's kind of kind of interesting the way you mentioned your
4: soccer background growing up and i know that's kind of that's definitely kind of influenced your sons to get into soccer i kind of want to get your thoughts on this um what do you think is holding you know more black more black kids back from you know venturing into soccer and trying to you know, make soccer their aspirations, their goals, like kids say the NBA or NFL. Why would you say, um, the black kids are not venturing to that more?
3: Outside of America, everywhere else around the world, soccer is the number one sport. Hmm. Here in America, you know, you could argue that football is the number one sport or basketball. They, they, they fight for one and two, right? And then you have, um, you know, throw in baseball and then you throw, you know, Olympic sports, you have lacrosse, you have the hockey. So what our kids, kids of color, just have a whole lot of options. And so their parents, once it's time to sign your kid up to play, you know, rec sports, they didn't play soccer as kids, right? They didn't play the game. So they naturally, you know, um, gravitate toward the sports that they're familiar with, even though the sport is growing here in this country. Uh, and uh, in terms of one of the largest participatory sports in the country, um, at some point they play the game until they're you know, 10, 12 years old, and then the other sports that dominate uh, take over.
1: Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned um, how you grew up playing soccer. Now, now, Isaiah Smalls, who's on the line, grew up uh, in Delaware, but Isaiah, you grew up playing soccer too, right? I mean, you, you've also got a, a, a passion for the sport.
2: Yeah, I mean, I stopped at like twelve years old, um, but because mm-hmm. I uh switched to football. But yeah, I I love soccer now. Um, it really took me sitting down and watching the World Cup in twenty fourteen. Uh, my friends are all soccer fans, and really, they forced me to watch it. And ever since then, like I've been hooked. I started playing FIFA and all of that. Um, so I kind of have a World Cup question. Um, Russia has had has said it will take a zero-tolerance policy in terms of racism, but its record and FIFA's record show otherwise. What is zero-tolerance supposed to look like, and do you think it will help?
3: Well, I I would like to believe that what they're saying about having a zero-tolerance with regard to racism uh, toward players, I would like to believe that. And and just to echo what uh, ESPN FC Shaka Hislop said, uh, Shaka, by the way, will be doing some... uh, or has been doing some um, commentary and and uh, reporting for the undefeated, and he had his first piece uh, come out on the day of the World Cup, uh, the first day of the World Cup last week, where he did a video piece addressing that very issue, uh, whether uh, FIFA is doing enough. Uh, we'll we'll do enough moving forward in terms of racism toward players. My answer is it's a wait and see situation. Um, I think what's the, the the great thing about the issue now is versus. The issue today versus four years ago is now everybody's talking about it. And now everybody's looking for something, including the players on the pitch. I think the players feel empowered to, if they see something going on, they'll literally run over to the referee and say, look, shame on you for not seeing it. Here's what's going on. I actually have the right to walk off the pitch with my teammates. And I'm Paul Pogba, and I'm Griezmann, and I'm Ronaldo, and I'm Messi, and I have that much clout to do that because the game is about us, not about the referees or even the fans. And so I think now the players pretty much like how players pretty much tell their old stories, tell their own stories on social media. They tell you who they're going to sign with. They tell you who they're going to be working with. They tell you who their teammates are going to be. I really think that now the players have that much power where they can dictate what happens. Mm. And I'm hoping that uh, obviously We all hope that nothing happens. We all hope we don't see any instances of bananas being thrown onto the field or any instances of of fans really showing out uh, in that way. But if it happens, I believe that the players, I'm talking about the big stars, have that um, power and have that onus to say, look, I I ain't putting up with this. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, how, Mark. I have a question. If a player like Pogba or like some of the players
4: that you recently mentioned, if they were to take that stand, how do you think that will, you know,
3: affect the game and affect the World Cup moving forward? It's going to hurt the game drastically. But I think in the long, it, it's going to hurt the 2018 FIFA World Cup. But I believe moving forward, FIFA will now understand that. You know what? We better we better make sure that we we really take some measures to make sure this doesn't happen. And so one of the easy things that they can do is they can really ramp up the screening of fans as they come into ballparks, right? Uh, they can make sure that they don't have you know, check their bags extra hard. Make sure they don't have anything um, to throw onto the field. I mean, it's it, it's a shame that you know the, the days are gone where people just kind of come freely and but now. The way people behave, the way things are being done, FIFA will now have to um, uh, ramp up their efforts as well and make sure that there's stiff penalties for fans and for the teams and for the ownership. So when this when this sort of thing happens, uh, there are stiff penalty penalties levied against uh, everybody who's who's guilty.
1: You know, FIFA had a rough a rough stretch too. I mean, FIFA doesn't have the most credibility in the world. I mean. There, there was a FIFA scandal. You know, they're still kind of shaking out. And there are charges corruption. There there have been match fixes. I mean, you know, this this sport, although it's a universal sport, it has some issues. I mean, this issue you mentioned, you know, this, this really has some issues. I mean, how important is this tournament for the sport and for the governing body to regain some credibility?
3: Well, Bill, I think it would start with a pristine 2018 World Cup mm-hmm. and it, it, it needs to start there I mean look when you, you talk about the FIFA's history um, there is so much money at stake mm-hmm. right and you know last week it was announced that uh, US Canada and and, and Mexico will, will get the, the the 2026 bid um, that's a that's a tremendous that's a tremendous thing so look there's been a history of match uh, uh, match fixing and people getting paid under the table, um, and and you know I was in I was in Jamaica at the end of uh, uh, last year, and who even knew that um, you know that there was a, a, a FIFA personnel even in the even in Jamaica getting money under the table. I know. <laughs> like, like, so this tournament is is going to be important not only for the teams that we we hope or expect to win or for the big big players who we expect to, to dazzle us. But this is an opportunity for, for FIFA and for the World Cup to really kind of um, redeem itself moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So kind of getting into, you know, the actual groups and everything, you know, who do you expect to win it all? Who's your sleeper pick? Who do you expect to win the Golden <laughs> Boot?
3: If I knew that, man, I'd be on a whole different show if I knew all the answers <laughs> to, 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 to that question. But i think I think the favorites uh are the teams that you know you've heard everybody talk about. obviously, you're going to hear about uh Germany. Uh, you know they got five to one odds of, of uh of, of winning the cup and when you talk about Germany, you talk about a team that a country that institutionally just plays the game yeah. simply and beautifully.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, they don't mess around. if you're looking for a highlight, you ain't going to find much. They just play. You know, it, it, it's not going to be easy for them because they're in a they're in a tough group. They got Mexico in that group. They got Sweden in that group. They always have a, a pesky South Korea in that in that group. So you, you can't have this conversation and not talk about Germany. And of course, for me, uh, and this is my heart speaking, all right, mm-hmm. not the stats. Is I'm hoping for um, for uh, Brazil uh, to win the cup. The reason for that is they're the anti germany they play the game they're an one mixtapes i mean they they play the game Absolutely. where even if even if you're just a casual fan of the game you're going to look at that and look at the things they do and go oh wow i mean it's such a it's such a rhythmic flow to the game it's beautiful to see now uh, they got 4 to 1 odds of winning the whole thing but and they have a history of 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 just being champions so uh, they too have a tough group they got serbia in that group uh, Costa Rica's always tough, uh, in that group. Switzerland's in that group. So, but you know, they should, they should advance. And, and I think, um, lastly, you got Spain. You know, they won the whole thing in 2010. You know, they, they play a beautiful football. Uh, they got some of the best players in the world. You know, they, Ramos, Isco, Eniesta, who is a magician. And if, if Eniesta was uh, a basketball player, he would be, Bill, who's the best pure passer in the history of the game? Magic, magic. You uh, just gotta go. Magic. magic, you gotta
2: go. Magic, magic, yeah, magic.
1: Yeah, well, for the sake argument, for for the, well, I mean, for the sake of argument, uh, you could say uh, you can say magic. Some people would say Koozie, yeah. you know, I think Nate yeah. Archibald. But yeah, for the sake of argument, I think most people would say Magic Johnson is probably the best pure passer.
3: Yeah. So Andres Iniesta, um, he is the type of player when when he is not not the fastest not the biggest not the strongest all right he, he's probably uh 58 on his tippy toes the ball by his feet just makes his 10 teammates better he is mm-hmm. just unbelievable but he's not messy uh, doesn't score a ton of goals but he is a true magician so you know really looking forward to uh, you know what what Brazil does you know they're in a tough group as well you know, they got Portugal Morocco uh, in that group so you know it won't be it won't be easy for them and again you know let's not forget about a uh, little guy uh, who plays for Argentina, named Messi. Uh, mm. I was talking to my son, who is uh, like I told you guys. I mean, he is. I'm kind of jealous. He is better than you know. He is at 16, better than me and my on my best day in my life. Mm. Um, oh, wow. We were having a conver- we were having a con- we were having a goat conversation, and my favorite player of all time is yeah. Diego Maradona, mm. who played for Argentina for many years, mm. and you know, Messi. Uh, arguably, has uh, supplanted uh, Maradona in terms of, but he Messi is missing that one thing from his trophy case.
1: That's right,
3: and it's a World Cup trophy.
1: That's right,
3: and if he gets that World Cup trophy, so right now he is arguably the goat. If he gets that chip, if he gets that trophy, there's no argument. What about you know? Um- you know, I have the argument. It had the argument with Jordan and LeBron. And Jordan, if LeBron gets six more, then he, if he gets six more, he still won't
1: be the greatest because he's got
3: six finals losses. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that, that opens That's
1: up. Yeah, yeah, very, very debatable. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But let's <laughs> stay on <laughs> topic. <have> let's <laughs> stay. On, let's stay with. Yeah. Before, <laughs> well, let me ask you this before
1: we before we switch. What about what about Africa? I mean, we talk about you know the soccer in the Caribbean. I mean, Africa is a continent It's just got tons and tons of talent. I mean, there you see them playing throughout. The Premier League and all that what's the problem with africa uh not being able to um uh to i mean you talk about the united states but what what's the problem yeah. with with Africa and not being able to put together great consistently world cup challenging teams
3: mm-hmm. well you know I, I that's a great that's a great question bill and I think if you ever get a chance to watch the the african cup of nations the African nations Cup where you see all of the best african players and teams play in a tournament we're talking about some of the best players in the world and i think um to answer your question uh, about why haven't they um you know risen to a point where you know they're 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 elite i think it really comes down to and america has this problem as well not because of lack of resources but if you're not developing the game from the ground level up right? Uh, I make the joke here in the house that when we were expecting Max, my oldest, I was rolling a soccer ball on the belly, right? Uh, And the first sport he played was soccer. When he started learning how to walk, he wasn't dribbling a ball. And if he touched the ball, he said, no, 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 you kick the ball. It really starts with the mindset and developing at the the earliest level possible. And for the most part, if you're going to do that, it takes resources. It takes money. And um, you don't see uh, that development coming on a grandiose scale. You see it in bits and pieces. Um, uh, America, by comparison, we don't have a lack of resources, but I said it on the front end is our resources are spread out to other teams, uh, other sports. And, and while um, America has made great headway in terms of uh, youth soccer and youth development and, and the Development Academy starting in 2007. We still have a long way to go in terms of, um, you know, being considered elite of the elite.
1: Mm. Hey, Mark, before we let you go, before you let us go, well, uh, just just give us a prediction. Who do you see winning this whole thing? Who's gonna? Who's your pick to win the golden boot? <sighs>
3: um, okay, I won't even I won't even overthink it. <laughs> Brazil's gonna win.
1: Oh wow! And Neymar
3: and and Neymar's gonna get and Neymar gonna get the golden boot. Wow. Wow. I agree. Yeah,
1: Brazil, Brazil right. making a because comeback. If you
3: remember, if you, if you remember in 2014, he uh, Neymar uh, got a, a gruesome injury uh, to his. Yes. Uh, he got right. tackled, from, tackled from behind, yeah. and so and and you know how it is when you have a hungry superstar. Because these World Cups, uh, I think Neymar's 26, 30 is not promised, guys. Because a lot could happen. In four years, where you're just not the Neymar of, of 2018. So, gone are the days where Pele played in four World Cups. I mean, that just, that just doesn't, they, these guys play 10, 11 months a year, right? There are more tournaments now, there's more money to be made. So, really, this is his one shining moment, I feel, mm-hmm. uh, for, for him to, to, to hoist the cup. But, you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm also kind of, you know, keeping an eye on, on, on Messi, knowing that he too, this will pro- this will be his last cup. And Argentina is probably right there.
1: Hoping. Right. Nothing like hunger. Well hey, thanks, Mark. Our, our guest has been the great Mark Wright. He's the director of Special Projects for the Undefeated. We're gonna be checking in with him throughout the cup. Hey, hey Mark, man, thank you so much, man, and uh you know, enjoy.
3: Thank you very much, and enjoy enjoy the rest of the cup, guys. All right. We will. We okay. will. Hey, hey fellas, stay on for a second. So check it out. If LeBron gets LeBron's got three chips, correct? Yes. Right. If 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 he yeah. if he matches Jordan with six championships, okay? So if he gets okay. three more. That's a big if, if. if he gets three more. With yeah, if. With still those six finals losses.
4: Yeah, but he also made it to the finals six more times than Jordan. Yeah, but and remember hey, Jordan even got even swept
1: Stephen A. Jordan got swept early yeah. in his career. He didn't get out the final round. He didn't get out the first round about three years in a row.
4: That's also a good point. That's also a good point, Basically. Mr. I When we look at, yeah. if you look at Jordan's fifteen, if you look at Jordan's fifteen years. He didn't make the finals nine times out of those fifteen years. LeBron's yeah. played fifteen I,
3: listen, years. I, I, LeBron Hey guys, I agree. I happen to think that the fact that he's made is it eight finals in a row? Yeah. Is it eight? Yeah. Eight finals mm-hmm. in a row. I mean, that, that ought to count for something. It's like, you know, the Bills going to four straight Super Bowls. So, I mean, it's got to count for something toward the greatness narrative. You know what I'm saying? So
1: Yeah. yeah. Right.
2: Especially I you think, carry I think these one, subpar teams.
1: Yeah, but I mean, for some reason. Yeah, you also
2: got to look at that, too.
1: What? yeah. This, this year, I mean, I I don't know. I just think that his legacy took a little bit of a dent this year. I mean, there, there's debates about. I mean, I know this was not a great team, so he gets credit for that. But, you know, people talk about, yeah. well, you know, he kind of, man, he, he put himself in this position and.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm I, sorry, is LeBron James the GM? Well, yes. Some people uh, say yes. so. <laughs> the, the facto
4: GM, yes. He is. Yeah. Anyway. Let's yeah. not be naive when we talk about his. That's
2: LeBron not, a that's, GM, not, that's, not his, that's not his job description. Yeah, like all, that's moves, what he all, does.
4: Moves that, all moves that organization makes are going through LeBron. Right. You know, yeah. after that, you, it was do you think, a new point. Do you
1: think we should have known that his hand was broken?
4: Um how I mean uh, how, when you throwing out how, you to the backboard to yourself, I'm, I'm not sure you can know when somebody's hand's broken <laughs> when you're doing that. I mean,
3: uh, there's no way for us for us to have known. Media or just fans? There's no way for us to have known that. Well well
1: what I mean. well, I guess the bigger question was, what did you think about him showing up, you know, after the series, you know, showing up with a his hand wrap and talk about his his hand yeah, was broken. I'm a big, I'm a big LeBron James
3: loose. yeah, I I'm a big James uh apologist. But that right there, I mean, why? I mean, no, man. Like that, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in that moment? I thought he that didn't wear was before. Yeah,
1: a little Bush League. <laughs> I thought that was Bush League. Right <laughs> I he going there with crutches. Yeah. You know, he come with crutches. Yeah, right. like. Well, and, 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 and your head wrapped up Bush Bush in a band
4: But yeah, so I think that was Bush League for him to show up in the game with the yeah. cast and kind of like, it's just kind of like inviting, like, oh. Pity. You're just
3: inviting pity on yourself, right? Uh, Yeah, in my
4: opinion, my
3: opinion. You're right. There is no other way to say it. And you know, he's cagey. He knows what he's doing. He's smart. But you know, if I'm in his camp, if I'm in his camp, I always tell my son that the the dream job that I would want to have is a job where I'm an advisor to these guys, and they can't fire me. That way, I can tell them exactly the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, if, if if you told if 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 people knew about the injury they would be smacking it golden State would be hitting his hand like for the time they yeah, knew it was the they would be smacking the hell out of his hand.
3: you know yeah, well, that's would. Not the thing though Mr o. huh
4: that's not the thing though I think I say that's not the thing though like obviously if you tell golden State that your hand your hand is messed up, they're gonna try to play you that way and uh you know probably try to injure it injure it some more, but I'm saying just like your hand can be broken, it's just the fact that you're showing up in the cast afterwards saying like. Oh, dude, I was hindered doing this, that, and so third. Like, nah, man, he just got swept, man, by Barry right. other It's okay, right? Like, it's
1: just, you know, though, it would have been a better yeah, look. I, yeah, he he showed up to the press conference, blah, blah blah. Then, as he leaves the stadium, people notice that he's got like a the cast on or something. Right? Yeah,
4: that's, that's what I'm saying. That's a much right. better like, move. If people did that, yeah. And you you over here in the press conference raising your raising your right hand up just. You know, flailed in front of the media or whatever, right. or whatever making comments what, what? Their hand. Like you know, that's not, that's a, not good really, that's really a good, good. Yeah, That's not a good no. look. <laughs> yeah, not a good look. Yeah, he's you my guy. Me, bro, if he would just call it, yeah. Well, they any, are getting course. LeBron's approval for everything. Of course they do. Well, anyway, but he's
2: not giving yeah, that. He's, he's not signing checks and stuff. There's man. no no man, no parade. No parade in
1: Cleveland. So let's 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 move on. We're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at soccer in the United States and why we don't see more black players. Stay tuned. The pain who make it look easy, but it ain't hard. As you think, just staying tall as trees, being never fall on your face. Cause if you do, then they gon' pull your car. Cause they can't you really use all but they step stepping where you step up. When you're around and sitting down, you won't have a up on the competition. Opposition, confident in composition. All I ask is that you just go hard in every proposition. Make them see that you the best, and they will go respect it. Make them see you not the rest, and they will go connected Like the docks, you won't talk. Going hard, cause it's your spot. Cause if you ain't going hard, then you should just so so well, hey. well let me introduce my guest, and I'm gonna ask him if he, if he's a Penn State man or a man of Penn State. Uh, so, so, so with soccer, <laughs> are you a Nittany Lion? <laughs> hey,
0: you, you, I'm definitely a Nittany Lion, and a man of Penn State.
1: <laughs> All right, well, let's not put the card in front of the horse. Let's, let's introduce the horse first. Uh, so with soccer, uh, I don't want to waste this great script that our producer Aaron Matthews has, has written. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. This is this is this is from the pen of Isaiah Smalls. A man of Morehouse.
2: Yes, sir. All right. yes, sir. The Morehouse man.
3: Morehouse really? man now. The Morehouse yeah. man.
1: Okay. With soccer being the world's most popular sport, you'd think that access would be the last thing American kids would have to worry about. Wrong. The popular pay to play system has benefited primarily white youth from suburban areas and affluent neighborhoods across the country. Meanwhile, Black and brown kids in the inner cities have little to no access to quality, organized programs. Enter FC Harlem Lions. FC Harlem allows black and Latino youth from Harlem, Washington Heights, and the Bronx to participate in soccer with little to no cost to the parents. Now, the city next to me, or actually across to me, is Irv Smalls, who is the executive director of FC Harlem, who's going to join us in discussing the challenge of recruiting black kids into soccer, Irv, welcome to the show, man. Welcome, welcome back. Yeah, good seeing you, Bill. Yeah, man. It's, right. been, it's been a while. Pleasure. But we, we it's kind of the, we, we're always talking about the same thing going oh. back almost 10 years ago. You, you know how I feel about
0: this, Bill. I, I told something the other day. Every four years, the discussion happens. Every four years.
1: Yeah, yeah only every four years. Well, <laughs> exactly. we're going to get into all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, played football at Penn State. Yes. And you were part of the team that went undefeated, speaking of the undefeated, en in, in, in route to winning the 1995 Rose Bowl. That's right. Uh, w- what made you want to work for a program that encourages young kids from the inner city to pursue soccer?
0: Well, you know, I'll tell you what, what really got me interested first and foremost into the sport was I was working for Major League Soccer uh, for about eight years in their big business and legal affairs department. And, um, you know, I've always been passionate really about, making in positive impacts in our community. And if I'm being really just transparent about it, when I joined Major League Soccer I did not like the sport at all. Mm. And it was really kind of going out two thousand two World Cup, my, my colleagues, were, come on Irv, you gotta come out and watch it. And, you know, just being in the department, we have worked on certain contracts and stuff and the team wasn't too bad. And I think what really got me was seeing first and foremost, um, I think it was Korea versus Senegal. Mm. And I just kinda of looked at these guys and I was like, wow, you know these might be some of the best athletes on the planet you know <laughs> forty five minutes running fifteen minutes stop forty five minutes again and then I think the other part to me was just the game itself always been big on strategy, but it looks more like life and and I said as much as I love basketball and you have that amazing dunk or football that amazing catch you know soccer seems to be back and forth with your teammates you know it may end up zero zero and you do it again and so I really thought that. The sport would be um, one that would be a, a great way to engage the community. And at the same time, I, I was at the league when I saw some things uh, when Freddie Adu was kind of starting around. So in many ways, when I looked at how I think things played out in my opinion, um, where it didn't really take off as well his career could have, I, I think he didn't have the right people around him support where they understand the system so that whether it's agents, leagues, players are talking to you, you know how to, to work the system to your advantage. And all those things sort of kind of brought me to this point where I said, let me see how I can get involved in a soccer community mm-hmm. in Harlem.
1: What's the barrier? I mean, we talked we've talked about this for, like I said, almost a decade, even more than that. Is it systemic racism? Is it, is it the idea of the sort of white people affluent want to keep this? They don't want, they don't want soccer in the United States to look like the NBA and the NFL. I mean, what's, it's, what's the bottom line here?
0: I mean, look, I would say this. I think all of those play a role. What I think sometimes I think people really don't understand is how this whole soccer system is set up. And over the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years, you're hearing about programs like scores, you're hearing about programs that are, uh, that U.S. Soccer Foundation is doing in the inner cities going into the schools. There's these efforts being made, but I'm, I get real detail with people. And I said it's the, it's the part of the program that gives you access to college opportunities. It gives you access to p- potentially professional opportunities. That is where the restrictions are. And what we don't understand is that this is a business model by which if a parent is putting in potentially every year, you know, let's say they're going to be on a, they have their kids on a team four years, a youth 13, 15, 17, and 19. You're talking about potentially minimum 3000 up to $8,000 commitment a year. But those parents are looking for that return on that investment and potentially $24,000, $25,000 after four years is potentially a fifty to $55,000 full ride to a D1 college for the next four years. This is business, right. and so I don't really believe that system. The, the reality is, when it's being used for access to college, and then you're trying to double up that system as also calling it to develop pros, that that first part is still there. It is in, uh, we have a kid who's in the DA system, this elite system, and we and have seen how things are working firsthand. And I don't think we understand that part. So some of those barriers are that the system isn't necessarily what I believe it says it is. It's trying. It's not changing overnight. Now and our last comment I'll just make, I went to the uh, the coaches convention in Philadelphia in January and former president of US Soccer Federation, Sunil, started off and he made a real clear comment. He said, Stop talking about pay-to-play going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And I had an economist from Texas tell me, if you look at right now, he's I think the comment he gave me is that annually, pay-to-play soccer based on some of the biggest associations, he talked to these guys. Brings in anywhere between yeah. four to five billion dollars yeah. a year, and if we wow. now that we have the twenty twenty six World Cup, estimating between eight to twelve billion. So sometimes I tell people where we wow. visibly see like the door looks like it's getting wider. It's, it's nice. going to get cl- it's going to get sure. tighter
1: because this is this is in the United States where every single thing is monetized.
0: Yes, when yes. you
1: mention that, and Sunil, to me is interesting. I mean, this guy. I remember having a conversation with him in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm hammering about this stuff. You know, so <laughs> like a politician. But then he said something. I, I, I want to get the quote, but it's something like, "We don't. And we like the model that we've got. We don't want to. We don't want to adopt the European model." And what he was telling me is that exactly that's said, so, hey, right? We want the status quo. This is where our bread is being buttered. This is where our money is making. You know, yeah. it's not. You know, and so. But to me, it does get back. I mean, I know it's business, but it's still, it's, it's still, racism at its root. Because what you're doing is basically excluding a large part of the of a of a talent base, saying that's not what we really want. We want these. What we want to cater to the wealthy, you know, well to do. That's where we're going
0: with it. You, look, you, I mean, there's so many facets of this, and I, I have to, an interesting story, guys. If you look at it as You're getting paid. These coaches are getting paid up front. Right. Okay? When you get into football development, soccer development, the return on investment that player oversees is on the back end. And that's what happens when you're dealing with professional clubs. So we have a partnership with Chelsea Football Club out of London. And and I'll tell you, it was – they invited me over in 2013 Mm – and I brought a guy with me from McKinsey. And we were sitting out at the training ground. And this, this is a true story. Sitting in the training ground. I'm impressed. It reminds me of my days back at Penn State. And this door opens up in the cafeteria. And I mean, just all these guys walked in. And I turned to some of the Chelsea executives I was with. And I said, is that, um, do you guys have a diversity initiative here? And they laughed at me. They said, a diversity initiative? What are you talking about? I said, that right there is an NCAA basketball team.
1: Hmm.
0: Not a soccer team in the U.S. And they said, Irv, we look for the best players. It says world class. Yes, we know that there's racism in soccer globally, but what we do here is we look for the best players, whether they are from the south of London, whether there's players from Africa, we look for the best players. And I'll tell you, for honestly, I said to them, I said, your colors are blue and white. You got a lion logo in there. And I see a lot of black players here. Let's sign a partnership.
4: <laughs> wow. That's kind of interesting that you mentioned that. I kind of wanted to ask a question along those lines. Um, when you talk about the organization that you that you partner with and that you're over in Harlem, are, is there a situation – I kind of have a two-part question. Is there a situation where you see a player who, who you feel like is – who is talented enough to really make it somewhere in soccer, um, but – you know, according to the influences that are, you know, around him as far as, you know, maybe wanting to play basketball, maybe wanting to play football, mm-hmm. they rather choose to go that route. Right. Um, and do you feel like uh, soccer itself in the United States is hurting from that, kind of kind of going on to the point of you mission with, with the Chelsea team? Mm-hmm. Do you think soccer itself in the United States is hurting from not allowing these black and brown players to play at a higher level Right. Uh, because of cost or because of different interests of that nature. I kind of want get your thoughts on that.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think, look, you're asking, you know, two interesting questions and I'll say this. Um, just to be, just for full clarity, um, SC Harlem was really, was started in 1991 as Harlem youth soccer, came out of Harlem Little League. Um, I got involved around 2005, and, and it's kind of gotten a lot of exposure just with the support that we've had from MLS and a lot of different exp- sponsors and clubs um, from overseas. But to your point, the first couple of years was spent talking to people in the community that we play, okay? That's important to tell you because I was meeting – when I was talking about building fields, we've already built two fields. We're getting ready to build the first covered soccer field in New York City in Harlem. We got approved on that. I was going around to local officials, and I had people telling me. And I just remember some of these comments. You come up here with your with your nice suit and this and that, and we don't play hard. We, tr- we don't play soccer. You're trying to gentrify hard. I said, "That's not true, man." I said, "Have you seen this? Have you seen the game?" So I just use that to say, like, first there is a piece of trying to get us interested in the game. There is a part, of course, where if you don't see yourself playing that game. That's not something that you think you do. I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's known for Chocolate Town. It's now known for Christian Colizic, right? Mm. And I played soccer, wasn't interested in that. What I saw was Tony Dorsett running the football, and that's what got me interested. So I think on one level, you do have a challenge of not really seeing yourself playing the sport, um, and so you don't necessarily think that's something that you can be part of. Specifically, to your point, I think there's another piece there, which is, New York City is very unique in the sense that you have a immigrant population so your African, your Caribbean, your Hispanic um, these sorts of populations that are in the community do play the game. Your African Americans are still looking more to those sports like basketball and football that you see yourselves more in. We I can tell you right now, we have of a young man that I've known since 7 right from 125th Street in Harlem, now one of the top players in New York City FC Academy. Um, and I've had Chelsea coaches look at him and say, if this young man was in London, he would be in our academy. Now, there's no guarantee he'd make it through like anyone else going through, but his skill set is there. And that's a kid who's right here born in Harlem. Sierra Leone background, but talented. So I think there are opportunities there. To your other point, absolutely. I do think... These barriers are preventing opportunities for kids from playing. Um, I, I also usually have a little theory. Uh, there's something I do called the three Cs, community, culture, cool, and then soccer. So when I approach soccer from, like, a marketing standpoint, you don't sell soccer with soccer. You talk with things around it. One simple example we did was the, the at Harlem Youth Soccer logo. We changed that to SC Hall, right? That's was a little bit cooler. We had a guy from RockAware who designed that, Um but when you speak to the sport, I'll usually just walk to people right up on the street and talk to them what they think about. It. Interesting enough, I'll say, what player do you identify with? A lot of them still identify with Freddie Adu to this day. Mm, wow. To this day, they still identify with Freddie huh. Adu. So I, what I would say to you on the second part is the barriers do exist. Um, it's absolutely challenging. I see what the costs are. Like I said, I have kids who are in the system. I see the cost. I see the, tra- the challenge with the travel. I see them not really understanding the system. And you do need organizations like FC Harlem where we have a good support base through board members, myself who's obviously coming from the soccer system and other people around that we can help provide sort of like a safety net or network for these kids so they can, the ones who are in the system, how to navigate. The challenge is you're talking about one or two of the kids that are in these programs. And I'd like to see a whole lot more of us get involved.
2: Um, so you mentioned exposure kind of preventing some of these black and brown kids from getting involved in soccer, but uh, it was recently announced that you that the United States will co-host the World Cup in 2026. And so I wanted to know how big of an impact do you think that will you know have on exposing these black and brown kids to soccer? I mean just because think about it, I feel like if it's coming in 2026, I feel like Atlanta, which has a very, very big African-American community, will be one of those host sites. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell you, I woke up early yesterday at 6 to hear um, and had been following all the way up to yesterday to see if we were going to get that World Cup, and the fact that we did, I, I'll tell you, I think it is going to move forward um, pretty significantly, the, the interest of getting soccer. And I want to be really clear, more specifically in those inner city communities that, that I want to be really clear about that because I do think that for African Americans that are in more affluent neighborhoods, it is a sport of choice. So right. the, there's a lot. I, I, I've actually started to be a little bit more, uh, a little wiser about this, not saying, Oh, blacks need to play soccer. We don't get the you got to
1: break certain, that certain down. types of blacks. Yeah. There's certain like, there, they, there's a wealthy blacks. Yeah. And then there's a, you know, my, my theory about that too is that, you know, this is about money bottom line, yes. right? So, for, for the quote unquote affluent blacks, a lot of white folks, well, we ain't got to worry about them. Right. Because they're like, the people we got to worry about are those hungry kids. That's what we yeah. cannot equip. We can't deal with that. That's what we, so we gotta somehow, and, and, and the, and the, not only the blacks, but the, you know, the, the Mexicans, Central America, we can't deal with that. So, we gotta, we gotta keep <laughs> that out. See. The middle class, the upper middle class, they like us, so we can deal with them. Right. Look, he, I mean,
0: Bill's hit it, and he just said the key word, hungry. I was at an event this week, and, and someone who played affluent soccer in Texas said to me clearly, he said, the Mexican kids, when I was growing up, down there, like I was telling you, he said, they were hungry. They were hungry. Literally. And, and <laughs> right, that sport is meant to change their lives. And That's so right. one thing I picked up in watching the system is I observed that, You know, what happens is one or two of us are allowed to come into these folds, usually scholarship, because they determine you're going to help their kids get better, right? right? And so because we don't know the game, usually we're happy with getting a sweatsuit, the bags, all this kind of stuff. And I usually tell the kids, like, so you're buying it for this value, but you're not taking a scholarship away from their kids. You do know that. And I've seen, and this this is not opinion. This is kids who initially look at Oh, you don't have this, you don't have that. They go to these big clubs. As they start going into the older age bracket, their playing time goes down right. because the tournaments are the exposure opportunities. You're not getting access to that. That's right. So that's why and when you have that system of club soccer, there's pay to play parent run clubs. And then there's what is now the Major League Soccer professional academies, which the message is these are free clubs that look for the best players. There's no cost. That's still debatable. Some, not all of them are that way. They are still, I think, in often many situations, not by the fault of the league, but I think some of these are still being utilized by parents as kind of private access opportunities for their kids than necessarily saying we're going to take the best players. Um, but that word hungry mm-hmm. is so true. Those kids are hungry. We have a kid in there who is hungry, and those parents see it. We, I remember one time we had a group of kids that a couple of years ago, a coach took us up to Connecticut for a game. And i always remember what Mike, a, a black coach from England, he said to me, these parents were behind us, and he said, typical inner-city kids, individually talented, yeah. but they don't know how to play well as a team, yeah. you know? And, and I said, Shane, they said that? He said, yeah. And they said it. He said it was clear they said it so we can hear it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so those are the things sometimes that really inspire me, because I'm saying, you know what? If I pulled all these talented kids from being one or two on these other clubs and they all played for F C Harlem? Yeah. Everybody been watching. Well, out. you know, that's the that's <laughs> a
1: big that's the biggest nightmare. And, and I think <laughs> you can't say that enough. That this our sis is a manufactured system designed to proper white supremacy as, as in, in soccer, you know. And I think people don't want to really talk about that. Right. But that's what it is. Is right. that you, we're not going to, over our dead bodies, will this look like the NBA and the NFL? Right. And it was talking about scholarships, like you said, the college scholarship and all that. And as Sunil said, it ain't going anywhere. And when he says it, right. You know, when he says it, I mean, so it's really quite frustrating. And and the fact is, we don't care about our standing in the world. Look at this, I think you said the 2016 Olympic Games, the men didn't qualify. 2015 Under-20 World Cup, eliminated quarterfinals. 2015 Under-17 World Cup, eliminated group stage. 2014 Brazil World Cup, eliminated round of 16. 2017 Under-20 World Cup, eliminated quarterfinals. 2017, eliminated quarterfinals. 2018, didn't even qualify. Right. That doesn't really bother. You, you know, what? because <laughs> right. cause Johnny, or, or not... Was not uh, you know, Cornelius right. is getting the scholarship to North Carolina. That's what this, you know, that's Man. what this is about.
0: And, and I got to tell you, look, in, in all fairness to your soccer, when I saw um, the match against France this past weekend, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of young black talent. One, I was just glad it was young. Right. So I am excited for the future of what I'm seeing. And I actually met two of those young men earlier this week, uh, Tyler Adams and uh, Timothy Way, And I was impressed to see what's out there, but we need more of that. You know what I mean? We need to see more of those kids getting access but i also tell people like who are really passionate about this i don't think you look to the system to make that happen right that's where i'm at i think there if you we have to look at this as a business opportunity i'm saying you i to speak to people about there's a long-term investment on this in developing as i say there's that lebron james discussion all the time and i don't and i don't think it's just that simple but you have to look at how you set things up, what we're trying to do. You build fields. You find – I'm not going to sit here and just get an American coach that emails me, sees the brand, wants to be part of it because of exposure. I said, you know what? I tried that. Let me go find a club that what they do is professional soccer right. with them. Here's where I want you. You own that coaching part of our club. I know how to get the land, build fields, get corporate sponsor involved, and let's really start giving these kids an the opportunity. I definitely see it changing but what I'm saying to people is that is don't sit and wait for Major League Soccer, U.S. Soccer, whatever, exactly. them for them to do it. You've got to do that yourself, and it takes money. It's, it's not easy.
1: That's what Richard Williams, uh, father's, Williams sisters. He said. He said, "Why are you waiting?" For them to create black stars, it ain't gonna happen. No, it's right, not it, right. the history of this. Guy, that they're not gonna do that. Right, right. You know, they're not gonna do that. Right. You know, but it's funny you mentioned LeBron James. LeBron James comes up in every conversation. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, it's an obvious thing because I'm wondering mm-hmm. what's LeBron gonna do next. Right. To be the greatest, I think maybe he should just switch sports. I think maybe <laughs> he should he should go to soccer. Right. And automatically he's gonna create yeah, Damn LeBron James playing soccer now. Well, doesn't doesn't he have I think he's he already
2: owns a stake in Liverpool. That's yeah. what I was
1: gonna say.
0: I, I got a problem with that, obviously be the Chelsea, but I I talked to Maverick <laughs> Carter one point at Stanford Bridge and it was like,
1: come on now, help help Liverpool? But hey,
0: <laughs> I can't knock what they did this year.
1: Right, right. right. Hey, let's before before we uh let you roll, let's talk World Cup. I mean are you excited about the are you gonna be glued to the TV? What do you oh, give, yeah. me your, give me a give me a synopsis of the World Cup?
0: I I think this is gonna be a very interesting year. You have a lot of, you know, I think there's different storylines there. Clearly the one that everyone likes to put up is we're we're all seeing the commercials, Messi versus Ronaldo. Um, there's always that other storyline of like, will Brazil and Germany meet again and will they exact some revenge for what happened in 2014? Um, but you know, you have some really strong countries out there. I'm, I'm impressed with, with England. Um, I've obviously got my Nigeria jersey, so I'm rooting I for know. Nigeria. You know. Bright green. Yeah, that's I'm telling you, I, I I love what Nike did with the kit, but I think Nigeria looks strong. Um love France. You know. I look at France and um
1: Who's the kid of uh, a real tall kid? Uh, uh well
0: there there's there's Pogba. Yeah. Who's yeah, with yeah. The, uh, Paul Pogba? Yeah, yeah, Manchester United. Then then Chelsea's got one of the best midfielders in Conte who's playing but I mean, just their bench. I mean and yeah. if forget the, the starting eleven, their bench is even stacked, so I, I see some, you know, and obviously Brazil, like you just, it is what it is. So I'm excited this year. I think there's going to be some really good, um, you know, some really good matches. And then, you know, obviously the other side of this is in the sport of football, you know, this is where the valuation of players go up or down based on your performance. So That's right. you, you guys already know about what Neymar did last year. Just let's wait to see what the valuations of some of these uh contracts that are going to be once the world cups over so uh, with, yeah. with the craziness that just happened with the Spanish national team coach being fired but uh yeah. it's going to I, be interesting
1: yeah. i I won't let you go but just talk about race i mean we, we you know mm-hmm. that that's we, we talked about uh, with with Mark Wright before you got on about racism clearly that's a huge problem and i guess i'm looking over over here and you don't you know have, you know calling lebron james or that right. you know why is that such a deeply entrenched problem in Russia and in Europe.
0: Right. I mean, look, I, and, and I'm not, I definitely can't speak to being an expert on that, but just from the sort of things that I've read, I mean, you're, you're talking about, I think, even challenges of example of countries where yeah. that sport is now, I, I look at it this way, you have some leagues where the, you have rules of homegrown players. So each team for in England, the Premier League needs to keep a certain amount of English players on there. And that may go against, for example, the the strategy of the Premier League to be the best league in the world. That means if you, the best league in the world means you're getting players from Africa and Colombia and they need to come play on English teams or play on French teams or German teams. That's what you do. I think often for individuals from those countries, you you have this sense of wanting to see just your people, you know, And I, but that's what I think is interesting. The sport truly is identified as global. You know, mm. um, and I mean, I saw the the Danny Rose piece um, just about him. And, and that was that was kind of heart wrenching to hear him. If you're his father, to see your son play in the World Cup, but then have your father to have him say to you, like, I don't feel safe with you coming to this country. Mm. You know, that that's that's a challenge. You know, uh, at the same time, you've heard other ones, other people say, like, they haven't had any issues, but. Racism is a fact globally, and it's interesting you don't you don't see it here. And I think right. that's one of the beauties, obviously, of mm-hmm. what the sport looks like here. But that, right. I, as we were saying before, some of the
1: yeah, institutional racism is all white here, well, <laughs> and
0: the institutional <laughs> racism in the sport exists not at the professional stadiums. Exactly. Exists here in the use. Yeah, we do so it a different way here. You know, yeah, because it comes <laughs> to a totally different place. So, <laughs> right. Um, right, you don't hear about it. You know right. what I mean? Right. And in, and that's this
1: classic. Classic United States. Invisible, the it's invisible visible. spike. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, There's nothing We're looking you, too deep into come this. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, I, guess, <laughs> I guess it's been Irv Smalls. He's the executive director of FC Harlem. Uh, Aaron, listen, man, this has been, you got to come back. Bill, this, this has, has been, been great. great, but you know, it's been great. We're, we talk about the same stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just amazing.
0: Absolutely, and and Don Cogswell, told me to tell you, hello. Ah, yes. You know, we got
1: to, we got to. You know, the three of us talk about the same stuff all yeah, the time.
0: Exactly. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, we couldn't complete the broadcast without a World Cup prediction, so we'll start with the expert in the room, uh, Irv. So when the smoke clears, who's going to be standing on top and who's going to get the golden boot? I <laughs> say
0: Brazil, and I said they will win, and the golden boot. I will say probably goes to
1: Messi. Hmm. Okay. Donovan, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Irv on that. I'm going to go Brazil. Um, I think the Golden Boot's going to go to Neymar. I think he's going to really rally those boys and get them, you know, a World Cup title.
2: I'm going to, you know, be a contrarian, and I'm going to have to go with France. France is going to win it all. Um, And in terms of the Golden Boot, I'm going to still go with Neymar, though.
1: You guys... Germany is gonna slosh the competition. Why is everybody disrespecting Germany? These guys are just consistent. You know, they 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 are gonna talk Brazil and France and they're just gonna crush every methodically, systematically, you know, everybody and the golden boost will go to Kevin Durant. <laughs> That's how bad this brother hey, is. <laughs> let's just give let's give him the M V P that too. We <laughs> can have him he have- start Hey it's funny
4: it's funny, uh it's funny Mr. Rowland to pick a European team Win the
1: World Cup. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> oh, <Ooh>. oh, <laughs> oh, oh! Damn, Donovan, that was cold. <laughs> all about all that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that. <laughs> all right, that's all we have time for today. And if there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You could also contact us directly. I'm at WC Roden.
4: I'm at Donna Vendula, And I'm at
2: St. Claude II.
1: And if you want to reach Irv Small, Irv, how can
0: people... Hey, I would just say check out the organization, www.fcharlem.org.
1: Cool. Uh, Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by the great, and I do mean great because she makes it happen, Aaron Matthewson. Special thanks to Tariqa Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Thank you, guys. Uh, and get all the HBCU 468 podcast as well as the plug, The Right Time with B'na- Bamani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another scintillating HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.